Hello and welcome to the Roker Report Lasses podcast in association with Sunderland Community Soup Kitchen and her game to the campaign against sexism and misogyny in football. Um, my name is Rich Spate and we are starting a series of special podcasts this July looking at um, the Lionesses, looking at England Euro 2022 tournament and uh, everything related to that tournament. We're going to be obviously looking at it from a northeast perspective. We haven't got a game in the northeast, but we've got plenty of representation on the pitch. And so we're going to be doing as much coverage as we can. And to help us kick off um, this series today, I'm joined by Roker Report regular Charlotte Patterson. How are you this evening, Charlotte? Yeah, I'm doing pretty good, thank you. Um, I've just got back in from from watching some uh, football, actually, um, with the pre-season starting and teams playing friendly. So, oh, all right. Who are you watching? Quite, uh, Brandon, Brandon United. Um, oh. So they had a friendly today and the weather was lovely. So it was nice to, to watch football in person again. It yeah, feels yeah. like it's been too long, but it hasn't really. <laughs> well, there'll be plenty of football this month and somebody, I'm sure, who will be watching uh, as much football as she can cram into uh, a day every day when the tournament gets started is Jen O'Neill, the former Sunderland AFC ladies player, the editor of the simply wonderful She Kicks magazine, pundit and all-round expert. How are you this evening, Jen? I'm canny, thank you very much. I've just had a, a day relaxing. That means having a few jars actually Good. last night uh, after finishing the Euro preview issue Um at the start of this week. Frustratingly, it's not actually going to get mailed out until Monday, so I'm really annoyed with the printers, but that's life. I was checking my uh, my post box just before we recorded. I have, se- I have seen the cover, which looks class, and it's definitely worth anyone uh, listening get, grabbing their copy uh, ahead, of, ahead of the tournament, if you can. We'll make sure everybody gets the digital version in time. Great. That's the plan. Yeah. Well, um, I'll be bringing it along on Wednesday for England's first game. Obviously, the tournament starts on Wednesday with England playing Austria at 8 o'clock at Old Trafford in Manchester. England have then got Norway at the Amex in Brighton on Monday the 11th at 8, and then on the Friday of the same week at Southampton's St Mary Stadium, we take on Northern Ireland. The tournament then will go into quarterfinals, semi-finals, and final. The final will take place on the same day that Sunderland men start their um, championship season, which means it's going to be a busy day um, football-wise for all of us. Um, but and, and I'm sure that uh, in the evening we'll have a lot of a lot of Sunderland fans tuning in for hopefully see the Lionesses uh, lifting lifting the trophy. Um, so and. Uh, before we before we get going into the preview, um, who's going to what games? So, Jen, have you got a, a big schedule lined up? You got your ticket app working, or do you get press passes and all that? Yeah, I've got media accreditation. Uh, there's nine games I've scheduled in in the group stages. Nice. It's just difficult to get around to all of them. There's actually been quite a lot of upset in the uh, English media that are covering women's uh, football because. Even the big newspapers, even the BBC, haven't got into some games mm-hmm. and they're rights holders. So I was really, really fortunate. So yeah, I'll be seeing all England games and games at Brentford, which is a the great group we'll go through soon. Group B, the group of death. <laughs> so I'm looking forward to that. There are some 
with it being a 16 team tournament there are some really really tough groups and i mean ours is reasonably tough um yeah it's a perfect number though isn't it 16 it's like it's just perfectly formed yeah because you get you pick two go through quarters semis it's when you start getting more than that and you, who's finished third and scored this and that oh yeah i can't be asked for that that annoys me absolutely absolutely and it, it will mean that there's some high quality football right throughout the tournament um charlotte are you, are you have you got tickets for anything or have you not managed to to grab them yet no, I haven't, unfortunately. Um, when the tickets went out on sale, I wasn't quick enough for a lot of the, the England games because obviously they sold out very, very quickly. Um, and then any of the kind of remnants of other games that I wanted to uh, go along to, just uh, I either haven't had the time for, for work purposes, really. So whether I'll get to any, I'm not too sure, but uh, I'll certainly be watching along and maybe trying to sneakily watch them uh, when I'm at work as well. <laughs> If anyone's actually interested in getting tickets, because UEFA have said they've sold 500,000 tickets now, but most of them seem to be on my Twitter feed. <laughs> There's, it's frightening the number of people who are trying to sell or move on or swap tickets. A lot of people are giving them away. The Austria game on Wednesday, there's a there's a vast number of come through my Twitter account, people reselling or or trying to 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 give away tickets to make sure people go. The resale from UEFA period was very short when they closed it. People didn't know about it. So it is actually a concern that though tickets have been sold, we won't have fans in the stadium to see the games. That that is a concern. I do know that the, the ticketing app does make it reasonably easy to transfer your ticket over to somebody else just with an email address or they needs the app. I did it with my uh my son uh, this morning to make sure that he's got his ticket in on his phone uh, for going in on Wednesday. So um that that kind of resale market does look um reasonably healthy and I know there's a few people like yourself, Jen, who've who've put um tweets up saying, you know, if there's any uh any tickets going spare reply here and and it's been um, constantly on my Twitter feed. So I'm sitting there now retweeting. <laughs> but um, I, I really hope that um, as the tournament progresses, people are able to you know fit around what their um, their schedules are, their shifts like you've got in the NHS, Charlotte as well. You know, um, it's not it's not easy for people to get to all all the games, especially from the northeast where we don't have a we don't have a game. We do have Rotherham and I think Sheffield that are reasonably close. Um, there's been a lot of talk about that. It is disappointing, but you know, as I, as I think the FA has made pretty clear, um, it was up to local councils and and clubs to to put forward a bid. And when you look back five years where Sunderland was, um, the club was walking away essentially from its responsibilities with the women's team at the time, and we had Dallas Short and Martin Bain in charge of the club, and it. And it we weren't necessarily in the in the best place, but um, are you, uh, Charlotte, as somebody you know in the northeast, a fan in the northeast, would you have been more likely to go if we did have games maybe at Stadium Light or the Riverside or even St James's Park? Yeah, absolutely. Because I mean, you know, travel for people is very difficult, and you know, like we've touched on, obviously, it, it's great that there's so many different venues, um, but it's difficult for those that want to get to watch a lot of football when they're sort of so spaced out. Um, I actually went to, I think it was a friendly game a few years back when England were playing Brazil at Riverside. Um, and, you know, I really enjoyed that. So definitely had it been sort of, you know, um, the venues were sort of, you know, the Stadium of Light or Riverside um, would have absolutely tried my hardest um, to, you know, get time off to go to those. But with obviously the games being a little bit further afield, you've got to factor in, you know, travel and probably having to stay over at places. So it makes it more harder. But 
you know, I, it would have been you know, brilliant to, you know, have it held at the Stadium of Light. We've got a lot of um, players who are, well, not all of them are currently in the England squad, but we've had a lot over the years that have been called up for the England squad who've come from, you know, Sutherland Academy or have played for Sutherland and, you know, maybe started the career. So I think it would have been, you know, nice not only just for, to have something, you know, up here in the northeast, but for um a representative for so many players that are playing for this England side. Sorry, my parents have been to the World Cup in Germany. They went for the whole thing. They went to Sweden in the Euros in 2013. So that was 2011, 2013. They went to Canada for the whole thing. They went in the Netherlands in 2017 for the whole thing. Um, they won or two games in France. They're not going to any <laughs> in a home Euros because 8 o'clock kickoffs. Mm. And and then Rotherham, Sheffield, with due respect, it's not it's just not enticed them. It just seems such a shame. I do think um, that UEFA and the FA um, could probably have done a bit of a better sales job um, to local authorities about the potential um, uh, that that this tournament could bring. But let's move on to talk about a little bit about football, shall we? We've had three warm-up games where England have scored a total of 12 goals, conceding only once. A fantastic little run of games in some really impressive performances. Um, 3-0 win um, at home against Belgium at Leeds. Uh, we had, oh, no, that was at, um, at Molyneux, wasn't it? Molyneux. Yeah, and then uh, 5-1 win against the Netherlands at, at Leeds United, which I think, I think shocked a few people that uh, another tournament favourite we we took down and then uh, four four nil win the other the other night against Switzerland. So um, Charlotte, you've you've watched some of the highlights. Who who's been impressive for you? And what was I guess was the most impressive game all around? Yeah, um, I think for the most impressive game um, for me, it had to be the game against the Netherlands. I mean, we started off quite slowly and obviously we'd conceded first and then just well with all the the games we've played recently we just seem to grow into the great game um particularly you know coming out in the second half and we're almost unplayable I mean attacking wise going forward we've got such a huge amount um of players who can you know um, across the pitch where they can get forward on the wings you know you've got the likes of um Fran Kirby and, and Lauren Hemp for me was certainly a, a very impressive player um, but just adding that attack and impetus, you know, we've had some really like entertaining games. Um, and like you said, obviously, 12 goals with only one conceded. I mean, you couldn't have asked for a more perfect sort of warm up heading into the into the Euros, really. But yeah, I mean, from what I was sort of looking at, you know, England have been playing with sort of a, a 4-2-3-1 formation. So, you know, you've got, again, like I said, that that attack going forward. You've got that the wings, you've got somebody sitting in just behind the striker and it's just it's very attack minded and it's enjoyable to to watch because I think you know for a, a long time under a Phil Neville you know we were maybe a bit more conservative really um in our approach which I know some fans didn't particularly like so it's nice to see this this other side of football really so yeah um really good um couldn't have asked for anything better really heading into the into the Euros in a few weeks. Jen, what are your thoughts on the on those warm up games and kind of the momentum that we've we've built up because it it does seem that. They're peaking just at the at the right time, really, ahead of a, a tournament. Yeah, definitely. The confidence is there. You say the momentum's there. That's that's true. Uh, it gave Serena Wiegmann a chance to give game time to to players like Fran Kirby, who who hasn't played mm-hmm. since February until she's joined the England camp. It's good to see that she's in a place to be able to start. 
Um, Lauren Hemp, as Charlotte says, is she's world class. And yeah. if England win this, it'll probably be because of her. And I don't want to put too much pressure on her. She's quite a humble kid. She's still only twenty one, mm-hmm. but she's she's immense. That she frightens opponents, but they can't contain her for ninety minutes. And on the other hand, you've got Chloe Kelly, who I'm so pleased is part of this squad. She had an ACL injury. She missed most of the season. Um, and she's come back and she's such a rare beast in the sense that, like Lauren Hemp, she's so brave. She will take players on. She will do the, the audacious thing. She's got the pace as well. And then you've got uh, Beth Mead. So as Charlotte says, it's the second half that they're... they're they ha- they showed vulnerabilities. There were there were problems against the Netherlands trying to play out from the back. They were exposed doing that, and I actually think this might be one of the reasons why, the experiment of having Leah Williamson and Kira Walsh as a double pivot, which Serena Wiegmann brought in as a as an idea, and it worked nicely, and it has done, might might change. She probably will play Leah Williamson in the back line. I would thought against tougher opposition, um. But I yeah, it's this it's the way they blow teams away in the second half, isn't it? I mean, the Netherlands were preparing or had a World Cup qualifier a few days later, so they were just playing minutes. Mm. They came into camp a week or two after England, so England actually are ahead of other teams in in their in their preparation. So there were reasons why the Dutch were a bit weaker and, and didn't put up the same level of opposition as you would expect, but they're actually a team in a bit of disarray anyway. They didn't play Miedema, who's mm. one of the best strikers in the world, until later on when the game had sort of run away from them. But all of these things I'm saying as a... Just to put it in context, that does not detract from the the, the place that England are in. As, as Serena says, we're in a good place. She also said, we're not going to sit on a pink cloud. And, <laughs> and I don't know what that means. <laughs> Maybe it's a Dutch idiom that that we're not that doesn't necessarily translate over into English. But she, she's so she's so direct with the players. Yeah. And that's that's a cultural thing. But it but they seem to be thriving on it and it gives them confidence in and believing what she says to them. Phil Neville was too emotional, in my opinion. Everything was about, you know, it was a lot about him, mm-hmm. but it was about emotion, and, and that works when everything's going well. But, you know, you, players just need to know what's expected of them. In training, she talks about the position. Did you, she doesn't talk about the individual. Mm-hmm. She didn't say, you did this. She said the centre-back should do this. Or, so everybody understands what their role is, and it's it's really it's really. Great to see, but I don't want to get carried away because there are other good sides in this tournament as well. We're allowed to get carried away. We've got a home Euros starting. Exactly. (laughs) Never get carried away. (laughs) Yeah, but when it comes to England, when it comes to this England uh, setup in particular, there's a lot of talk around Charlotte about the strength in depth, and we will move. uh, We can move on and talk about the squad, I guess. But the strength in depth and what we've got available off the bench. I think it was the Belgian manager came out after the game and said, you know, we it it's quite overwhelming what we're able to to bring off the bench and it's like we've got a fresh, you know, a fresh set of leg, legs in every potential position and when you're bringing, you know, maybe even bringing Beth Mead off the bench or Frank, Frank Kirby off the bench, that's that's something that that's pretty rare in kind of European international football to have that so, almost like two starting 11s competing. Do you think that's been key, Charles, for, for our um, for our success over, I guess, the She Believes Cup and, and the, the three warm-up games? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I was having a look just before and um, England actually haven't lost a game since I think it was April 2021. Um, Obviously, I know we don't play regularly, but it's still an impressive feat. But like you said, I mean, you know, looking at the squad and sort of what I touched on before and in terms of attack, we're absolutely stacked in depth. And I mean, we saw that in the, the sort of three warm up games that we've just had. Particularly, I remember in the Netherlands, I can't remember if it was about 3-1 at the time, but, you know, we brought on substitutes and they just added to the game straight away and, you know, we just completely killed them off. I mean, um, sort of what Jen said, you know, they brought on Miedemar towards the end. She didn't even get a look in. But, into, yeah, I mean, depth-wise, I mean, Serena's going to struggle, really, with picking a start in 11 because she's got such a array of choices. And, I mean, the the sort of experience as well of the squad so you've got really talented up and coming sort of young players you've got those that come from obviously big clubs that compete at a high level and then you've got those like experienced uh, players as well you know we've got the likes of Jill Scott who's being called up you know Demi Stokes who's had quite got a few caps as well uh, Ellen White uh, Bethany England and then you know the, the ones that we just touched on who will probably have a a breakout sort of tournament the likes of Lauren Hemp and Chloe Kelly and Alyssa Russell as well um, it's just yeah I, I, like what we were just touching on and what Jen touched on I don't want to get carried away but it is a really good England side we've got a great squad and you know the the last three fixtures you know it, it you, ha- you have a lot to be positive for heading into this yeah totally and um, just to just for the listeners benefit really just to just take a step back a little bit and look at that final 23 squad from a from a Sunderland perspective we've got those four really experienced players Mead, Scott, Bronze and Stokes uh, who were amongst the older players uh, in in a in a setup that has a lot a good mix of youth and experience one player who dominated the headlines for not making it um was was Steph Horton Lucy Stansforth also didn't make the the cut and Jordan Nobbs was was unfortunately uh, again injured for for a major tournament but Jen, your views on the on the kind of the balance of the squad and particularly, you know, there's been a lot of talk around the fact that amongst this squad, I think it's only Hannah Hampton who who didn't play for um, Manchester United, Manchester City, uh, Chelsea or Arsenal last season. People calling for Ash Neville, people like that to be to be included after a really good um, season in the WSL. What do you think of the mix of the squad? Because my perspective is that, you know, it's tried and tested to a large extent, plus the, these youngsters. Yeah, I think there's potentially an element of Serena Vigman only took the job in September. So she she has watched a lot of games, but maybe that's, there's been a slight reticence not to bring in players who haven't been part of the that whole England youth journey. Mm-hmm. The players that we've already mentioned, so um, Georgia Stanway, Lauren Hemp, um, Alessia Russo, Ella Toon, what they were all part of the uh, under twenties that got bronze at the World Cup in France in twenty eighteen. I mean, they're a they're a hot generation, mm-hmm. and so it's very difficult for players from outside of that England bubble who've not come through that pathway to break into it, and and it is an issue, and it has been an issue for a few years. I feel it's unfair for somebody like Ash Neville. If you look at um, Amy Turner, has gone to America and has has been playing brilliantly for Orlando Pride. Not got a chance. She's not mm. had an England cap for years. Natasha Dowie at the you know about the start of the season was banging in goals. That's yeah, a proven was. goal scorer, and they they just don't. I think you're either sort of you're either going to get a chance or you're not. Having said all that, I'm happy with that 
that squad. And the, the players that missed out from the 28, so you said Lucy Staniforth was injured. I was pleased that she got the chance. Mm-hmm. I had a good chat with Steph Horton. She was absolutely devastated, you was imagine. But she did everything to get fit and she mm-hmm. ran out of time. And, and you have to respect the coach in making that decision yeah. because she just hadn't played games. She wasn't ready to play in the friendlies. It, it just it just wasn't the right time for her. But the, the balance is ace. It really is. It's difficult not to, to, to get excited about what they can do because there are some young players in there getting experienced. Jess Carter, a lot of Bob and Moy. You know, they're, they're good players playing and training against other brilliant players at their club. And, and that's key, isn't it? Because they're playing against and training with and against some of the players they're going to come up against in the teams that could win this tournament. Yeah, it's it. It I think it is an exciting squad. Uh, the 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 other player I missed who who didn't play for one of the 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 big WSL teams obviously is Rachel Daly, who's playing for Houston Dash in in the um, North American Women's um, Soccer League. So um, yeah. Charlotte, I just wanted to get your perspective. Obviously, you mentioned earlier um, a few potential breakout stars. You know, who, who, if you could pick one of the youngsters, um, do you think is going to be the star? Is it the the obvious, or do you, do you think we might uh, might might see one of the 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 other youngsters in in England squad um, actually be, being one of the the players who who maybe takes us all the way through the tournament? Yeah, it's um, it's so hard to pick one really good young player that's going to be sort of the standout. I mean, I don't want it to be sound like the obvious choice, but for me, it has to be you know Lauren Hemp, who we touched on before. I think she just has that um innate ability to be able to sort of um almost grab their game by the the scuff of the neck. I mean, she doesn't need sort of the assistance of other people she I mean she creates her own chances and I mean she's just absolutely dynamic out on the wing um and just her her presence on the pitch I mean just the energy that she brings I think she can really like what I said before you know add to that attack going forward um you know with that um having that lone striker and then three players sitting in behind um it's just going to spell trouble for the opposition. And I think, you know, we saw time and time again in the, the sort of games leading up to the Euros that our threats coming from the left-hand side were just, you know, so dangerous. And she was constantly creating opportunities. I mean, I think she was registering something about seven or eight crosses per game. Um, She had sort of 79 passing accuracy, 17 duels, four shots on goal. So she's just, you know, getting really involved. And this is for somebody who hasn't had too much, you know, um, time and minutes playing for England, but is, you know, um, completely taking it by storm. And, you know, with the opportunity that she's been given, she's making the most of it. But um, so for me, yeah, I would have to say Lauren Hemp, but, you know, that's not without sort of saying that the likes of Ella Toon or Alyssa Russell, who we've talked about before, I think they'll also be key players. Um, Chloe Kelly, you know, she's hit great form since returning from her injury. So, um, you know, we're very lucky that um, we, like I said, we have got a very entertaining squad, uh, people who can add a lot to the game. And we've got all of these young players uh, coming up as well. So um, very exciting times ahead. Yeah, certainly. And um, Jen, obviously uh, we went with an extra striker in the in the selection, um, there's been talk possibly that that meaning that we're not going to be relying on Ellen White quite as quite as much. Obviously, she had to miss a game with with COVID, but Alyssa Rousseau is, I think, one of those players who we we could end up being 
talking about as as being the kind of the the player we weren't expecting to be a superstar and coming out of the to- tournament being one of the players that that's on the lips of the gen- the general public that header for the first goal against Switzerland I thought was a lovely bit of movement and a, and a great finish what what are your thoughts on Russo uh, yeah, I think it's as frustrating as it is for Beth England. She will always be the player that comes off the bench. She's a poacher, mm-hmm. um, but she does it really, really well. Uh, and Ellen White is is proven goal scorer, mm-hmm. England's record goal scorer. I, I would, and but you, know, how do you recover from COVID? We all have different experiences. I I certainly do. <laughs> well, I would I would personally choose Alessia Russo to play, uh, purely because the the power and the willingness to shoot. Yeah. She actually shoots. I know it sounds bizarre, but. Some centre forwards and Ellen White sometimes is too unselfish. Alessia Russo gets the job done. She's played in uh, the US for the top college team there, UNC. It's highly competitive. She was really successful there. Her and a lot of them and more were uh, won the the college cup out there. Uh, she's she's the real deal. She just needs the chance to play. And Ella too, and again, if she gets the chance, they're fearless. This lot. It sounds like a cliche to say about younger players, but they absolutely are, mm. and they like they showed that against um, the Netherlands when they come on, particularly as, as Charlotte had mentioned, it was like three one, and then they these players come on and it's just like I'm going to shoot as soon as you get a chance, bang. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and they're they're creating opportunities all the time as well because we we over the course of those three games we've we've missed some absolute sitters as well. Um, particularly in the first half of games where we could have you know, taken the game away. And, and I think when it comes to uh, tournament and being in the big game and in, in the big moment, you see us actually doing, I guess, what the United States used to do in just putting games to bed early. And that's what I'd like to see, particularly in the group stage, is, is uh, there not to be any nerves and, and us to be putting, um, you know, Austria, obviously, who we've we've got a lot of experience playing in the last twelve months. Um, is this the third meeting? Is it uh, in the, in the last twelve months between the teams? And then we play them in September as well. Thinking of other sides in the tournament, Charlotte. When you look across the draw, what teams stand out for you? But we also we had a question from our reader, Jason Thompson, actually earlier, and so I think it's probably more more interesting than what, what teams really stand out and who the favourites are, but. Are there any kind of dark horses? Any any teams who maybe aren't right at the top of the um, right at the top of the betting who could pull off a, a bit of a, a surprise? Yeah, I think in terms of a dark horse for me, I would definitely say Denmark. Um, you know, I'm heading into this competition. They've had some really good results. Beat Brazil, didn't they? Yeah, I was just about to say a 2-1 win sort of over Brazil um, and for a long time they, they sort of went unbeaten. Obviously they were sort of just pipped to the post by um, Norway about a week ago where they lost 2-1 but they've got a really talented um, squad, they've got a lot of energy, they've got a lot of young players um, so they're certainly ones that I think could certainly be a dark horse particularly with who sort of was also in their group but in terms of, of teams that stand out, obviously you'll have the likes of Sweden who are a really good team. Um, you know, I was really impressed with them when I watched them um in the Olympics last year. And obviously they reached um sort of into the finals and they got that that silver medal, but they were really impressive and obviously they've got an array of, of, of talented players. You've got the likes of Ericsson, obviously the who's a defender for Chelsea. Um you've got Lindahl who's um an experienced goalkeeper for Arsenal and Black Stenius as well. So they've got a really a, like talented um players for them. Um but one in terms of sort of 
a team that stands out. Maybe, I don't want to say negatively, but I've been sort of less than impressed by Spain in the recent games. Um, now, they haven't sort of, you know, gone into this in horrific form, but I don't know, they've just not quite sort of hit the kind of what we touched on about England reaching their peak. I thought Spain would have, and they just haven't hit the, the heights or the expectations that I think myself and a lot of other fans, you know, have for them. So it'll be quite interesting to see how they, you know, what lessons they've learned from these games heading into the Euros and sort of how they, um, you know, better themselves, improve or change things heading into it. But yeah, um, for me, I'd say certainly, you know, Sweden stands out. Um, obviously, I would say us as well, as much as I don't want to be too um, optimistic because, you know, supporting Sutherland and England teaches you not to be. Um, but yeah, um, Denmark for me would certainly be a dark horse as well. Yeah, Jen, um, you mentioned Group B as a standout. Uh, that That's... Um... It is the, the obviously where where Denmark are in those kinds of groups of death where you've got Germany, Denmark, Spain, Finland. It is often the kind of the unfancied team that that comes through. Um, your thoughts maybe on the Germans and the Spanish. Obviously, Germany have won this tournament so many times. Spain come into it with that kind of that core of the Barcelona team that has almost blown everyone away this season, but not quite. Uh, when it came to the the, the Champions League, um, yeah, your thoughts on that group? Um, I I don't know because <laughs> uh, Germany, Spain, and France as well are another side similar. Um, you don't know who's going to turn up. Now, if they they play their best, they're going to win it. That mm-hmm. that's and and I agree. I don't Denmark. Everybody says that Denmark are the dark dark horse. I don't. I think that makes them almost not the dark horse. <laughs> and Sweden are my favourites. Sweden are favourites for mm-hmm. it. You can't deny if you look through that entire squad the strength that they've got in in every area of the pitch, and the the consistent consistency in terms of they should have got to the World Cup final in twenty nineteen. In a, my opinion, they had a penalty shout against the Netherlands that that they didn't get, and then they beat England. Then they they should have won the Olympics. They were gutters. They getting another silver at the Olympics was was not good enough for them. But that group B, um, it could hinge on that opening game. Germany play Denmark in Brentford on the, the 8th of July. And depending on what happens there, because Denmark beat Germany at the last Euros, Denmark lost in the final at the last Euros. They missed the last World Cup because they had a dispute with the DBU over pay. They missed a game against Sweden and then they never regained that and they didn't make it through to France. They're, they're a good side. Whether they're good enough to win it, I'm not sure. Another another team, uh, and actually just on that Group B, I spoke to Anna Sinyal, who's was the Scotland manager and she's the Finland manager now. She's feeling quite pesky because she thinks that those other three teams in Group B will be already thinking they could win the whole tournament. Mm. They'll take their eye off the ball slightly. She, she's hoping, it sounds more hopeful than realistic, that that means that they'll trip up and they'll actually maybe get some points out of them. We'll wait and see whether that happens. But I think Iceland, I mean, Italy are a good team. This is Group D we're looking at. Italy are a good team, but Iceland might surprise people because of the unity, because they've got one of the most exciting players going in, young players going into this tournament in Sven Desjondas Dottier. She's fantastic. She plays for Wolfsburg. She's really exciting to watch. So they could be somebody that's... Uh, or a team that surprises a few. I think that's a really good call, actually. But talking of um, talking of Group B and those games in Brentford and in Milton Keynes, we know that for many people, particularly fans of men's football, these Euros in England are going to be maybe the first time that they've been to a women's football match. 
that includes some of us at Roker Report. And so I've asked one of those people, my good mate Brett, to keep a bit of an audio diary of his family's journey throughout the tournament. So here is the first instalment of Brett's Euro 22 audio diary. Hello, this is Brett Lyons-Davis. Uh, you might recognise my voice from the Roker Report. I am the Sunderland supporter who lives in Milton Keynes. And throughout the Women's Euros, my home city, um, as is a city now, has uh, been the privilege of hosting four games. Um, and we've got uh, the group that involves Spain, Finland, uh, Denmark and Germany. And I'm, I've got tickets for all, all three of those games. I'm actually taking my daughters, uh, Millie, who is nine, Chloe, who is seven, and also my wife. Throughout the games, we're going to be... I'll put, I'll put a bit of a diary, um, really, um, to give an introduction. I'm not... I once I was a massive supporter of women's football. I like... I like to see the Sunderland ladies team do well. I like to see the England team do well. Um, but I've never been to um, a, a women's match yet. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing what that's all about and really sort of getting involved in the tournament. Let's say we've got the three group games that we'll be watching. We've also um, got here Milton Keynes, the semi-finals. So I am going to be sort of one of the few people, I suppose, who are hoping that England finish second in their group. So we get to see England here in Milton Keynes. And then again, very fortunately, we've got tickets for the final as well. So hopefully we will see England at least in that one. You know, it was a uh, very, very um, well unbelievable, really, that to see all five games. So you know, three group games, a semi-final, and a final for a family of four is one hundred and eighty quid. It's about nine pound a person. So you know, to, as a great initiative to get uh, to get new people like myself following uh, you know into interested women's football, getting my daughters into it, um, is going to be fantastic. You know, they've been to a couple of games at the stadium alike. They love it, and I do think. And especially in England, um, you know, an England victory would be would would seal the deal as, as football fans for life. So, yeah, throughout the tournament, I'll be putting a little bit of a diary together, um, letting us know how you get on. I'm sure Millie and Chloe will, uh, will, will put their voices uh, onto the pods. I know for a fact my wife won't. Um, but yeah, I'm very much looking forward to it. So yeah, listen to me throughout. Um, yeah, my uh, my diary of, of Milton Keynes and England uh, at the Women's Euros. So we heard there from Brett about how he's looking forward to taking his young girls to the big games in Milton Keynes. Um, it's going to be new for for lots of people. Um, Jen and Charlotte, you've both been to um, Lionesses games. Probably Jen's been to maybe more than more than most over the, over the, over the uh, time following women's football very very closely with she kicks. Um, what can what can fans expect? What can I can? What can I expect? I've never been to a, um, any international football match, men's or women's. What can I expect at Lioness's uh, game on Wednesday? Well, I would say that um, there's there's generally it's a different atmosphere in, in that it's less aggressive. So there's still competition, but it's less aggressive. So it's not got that sort of slightly toxic sort of side to it having said that that doesn't mean that I don't love games where the the most recent cup final at Wembley Chelsea Man City and the one in December Arsenal Chelsea there was an edge to mm-hmm. it and I loved it and so you you do get a bit of that but it's not aggression um there's less drunkenness unless you sit next to me <laughs> oh no I'm in the press box you're all right um it's it's a bit higher pitched yeah. the crowd you can't deny it because you've got more girls in there it's inevitable um, it's not as bad as it used to be. It was more shrieking. I, I went to US games in the early 2000s um, and it was like going to a pop concert. <laughs> you, honestly, you needed earplugs. 
It was like it was like Beatlemania, but for US women's national team players. Um, you get the same England band. Now, um, make your own mind up whether you like that or not. Jury's out. I'm being diplomatic. That's the bit I'm not. I'm not looking forward. To. I hope that they're on the other side of the ground to me. Um, in the Alex Ferguson stand, I hope they stick them uh, next to the tunnel on the opposite side of the ground. You you get bigger queues for the women's toilets. That's annoying, but the way it is the modern stadia have the toilets where they can actually flip them or they can so they can open them for um change it male females or whatever but not everywhere has that the 2000 and, was it 2002 when we played millwall at old trafford oh yeah in the semi-final yeah don't remind me of that one either <laughs> me, and, me and my mate karen uh couldn't couldn't be bothered standing in the huge queues to go to the women's toilet so we did a few dipping in the Tried to go into the men's, saw a bit much that day, more than I needed to in five minutes. Charlotte, what were your impressions? Obviously, you went to the game at um, Middlesbrough. Have you been to any other games? Uh, no, unfortunately, that's the only game that I went to, but kind of exactly what Jen said. I mean, um, it, it is a good atmosphere. It is different to, to watching the men's side, but it's it's still one where I, I can't really describe it, but there just feels like a lot more camaraderie, really, because I think everybody who sort of sat in the stands, and I'm, I'm not saying that isn't the case for, for the men as well, but there just seems to be a different kind of level of pride, Um, not only because I think they're representing... Uh, you know, England, but I think it's because, you know, what we touch on quite a lot is just wanting to see the success of, of women's football. Um, so, you know, when I have been to games, it's, it's been a very friendly atmosphere, you know, people talking to each other and people, you know, just of, of all different walks of life, really, all together. Whereas, you know, at men's, obviously, it is naturally, it's very sort of male dominated um of specific skin colors you know so whereas like you know the women's it's a lot more inclusive um you know we see that in terms of um watching sort of the women's super league and the the championship um where we have a, a different mix of different people coming to watch these games so that's certainly something that i personally really enjoyed but yeah i mean the atmosphere is um great you will have to you know make your mind up of whether you like the uh, england band and the drums um but yeah it's um it's exciting so uh i'm certainly jealous of those that are getting to go to the games i'm I'm hoping as well that in my opinion when you actually go to a game because you, you can't get away from the fact that some people some detractors feel that the women's game isn't as fast as the men's game now obviously it's improving because of the professionalization but you don't notice that when you're in the ground watching two teams play against each other it's not as noticeable as when you see it on tv i don't think you're just seeing two two teams going against each other. I'm a bit worried about he he's going to Milton Keynes to watch Finland three times in a row when they're just going to defend. <laughs> Brett and the and the kids are going to be like. Well, I hope they become Finland fans. It'll be the most football sports I've ever been in Stadium MK, which is always which is always <laughs> two thirds empty. <laughs> in, in in 2005, they played all the games in the northwest and they played games at Warrington, at the rugby league ground. And the Norway played most of their games there, and it was amazing because it was this like it was a posse of like tracksuited lads behind Bent Nordby's goal. She's the Norway goalkeeper, and they came became like the Bent Nordby kind of fan club. <laughs> it was it was immense. It was so cool, and they played Sweden in the quarterfinal or semifinal there, and it was an amazing match. It was like end to end. That was that was one of the best games I've been to, and it was made by those lads really getting into it. I think I think there are gonna be new new people brought towards the game taking my 
young lad who's been to Appleton, he's been to Maiden Castle this season uh, when we've been up in the northeast. But Tate, my lad, who is absolutely, he, he's like so excited. Um, he's 12 and he's been playing Xbox with the Lionesses for months and he's got his favourites. Like like Serena Vegman, he's he's a big fan of Nikita Paris, who I know divides opinion uh, as to as to whether she should be getting as much game time as she does. But um, she she has got that experience as well. But I th- I think it's going to be really good for the game overall. And Charlotte, I mean, we talk a lot about where. Sunderland can benefit from from this. Obviously, we've got the the big connection with some of the the biggest names in the in the squad. People who scored, I mean, a, a good proportion of the goals in the last three games uh, with with Lucy Bronze's um, cross shot uh, the other the other day as well, which uh, was definitely a cross. But what do you think impact this could have really on on our club and and how do you think maybe the club should be? Using this opportunity to um, to to kind of bring more people in towards Sunderland FC women. I mean, what we always see with a lot of of football tournaments is is this boom of interest, and I think we certainly need to make the most of that. With um, obviously us having the the home advantage. Um, I wrote an article a little while back, which was detailing about the impact the success that Japan had when they won the two thousand eleven World Cup, um, and because. A long sort of prior to that, um, you know, it was very much seen as it's just a man's game and women's weren't taken seriously. And they saw a huge increase in uptake in sort of um, like girls becoming interested in football. They were starting to develop more grassroots um, so that, you know, they were developing the quality of the leagues at the time. Um, admittedly, it did sort of um, start to diminish slightly as obviously the the World Cup fever sort of ran out, um, but they have just started the creation of their own sort of professional, like first professional women's league, and we are starting to see that rise again. So I think, you know, we need to make the most of the opportunity that we have, and not only that we've got a very good England squad, um, and that we know sometimes that fans can be fickle <laughs> at times, and that, you know, we do like to enjoy the success. And I think, you know, obviously, I think we'll we'll do well with you know just England competing in the tournament but for us to win games and you know potentially win the tournament would you know spell even more interest I'm sure from young girls but you know we need to make the most of kind of like what you touched on before you know we've had a a large caliber of of players that have come through our academy or have played for Sutherland who are representing the national team Um, we've currently got the likes of Neve Heron who's representing the under 19s we've got um, Libby McInnes who's representing I think the under 18s and Grace Eid for the under 17 so we've got again you know um players coming through who may well be part of the the senior national team setup so i think Sullen, you know really need to push that something that i was quite impressed with was um when manchester united women had their game at old trafford towards the end of the season and um just the terms of advertisement that they had in terms of players sort of having posters all around sort of the city or just outside of the ground obviously there was the huge almost billboard on the stadium itself you know advertising the women's team the twitter would sort of handle um was doing everything they could to to promote the game and putting it out there and i I think we maybe need to do a little bit more of that and i I know we've kind of touched on it in roca report but kind of that community reach and we need to be looking at certain demographics and trying to get them involved i mean i know um i don't want to sing the praises too much but the likes of durham do really well in terms of sort of 
um having sister clubs um you know bringing girls to games um and you know obviously hopefully with the likes of the Sutherland U23s as well it again it kind of it shows that there is scope for you know young girls out there to have a career in football um because I know certainly even just you know when I started out there, there wasn't sort of anything like that at all um it was always a dream but it never came to fruition so I think yeah Sutherland just need to make the most of it obviously the, the advertisement of it, um, the media coverage of it, because that's another thing which has improved in recent time is the coverage of the women's games and just make sure that even once this tournament's finished that there still continues to be a push because, like I said, you can very quickly get over World Cup fever, and, um, sorry, Euros fever and then particularly because we have the Men's World Cup coming up in December, um, I wouldn't like to think that we get sort of brushed under the carpet. Well... I mean, we we do have the domestic men's season starting the same day as or the same weekend as the as the women's Euros final, uh, because of the the men's World Cup being in in Qatar in the in the winter. So maybe there's you know there's already a little bit there where the, it, it, there's been a, a, a that overlap that's probably not going to be too helpful. Um, but I was I was actually reading Susie Rack's new book. And and one thing that she calls for is clubs to almost go into campaign mode rather than marketing mode, but um, campaign to to their fan bases to raise the profile of their women's clubs and their and their, and their women's players. And and you know we've got that heritage at Sunderland. Obviously, that Jen's big part of starting off. Um, that that we can we can build on, Jen. I want to give you the final word on this in terms of your hopes uh, for this tournament as a as a spectacle and as a as a way of bringing more kind of more attention, more money, more fans towards the game overall. Because obviously, what you do in in your work, you've you've got an interest in this, and so. Uh, was it was interested to 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 get your perspective as the editor of probably the the biggest women's football magazine out there about the the overall impact of the tournament or potential. Well, from a football perspective, you've got to expect it to be the best we've seen yet. Yeah. and why not? And it, like the the concentration of competition and quality. So we're gonna we're gonna see some we're gonna see some dross. On I mean you can't expect every game to be great, but we're gonna see some cracking football, and and that's what we want as fans. Yeah. Um, we're gonna see new heroes made. That's gonna translate into brand partnerships, and that whole commercial side will take care of itself, depending on how successful certain teams are. If you look back to twenty seventeen, the Netherlands as a nation fell in love with their football team, yeah. the women's team. And they, they've sold out games ever since. It hasn't translated to the league, but then a lot of their best players are playing overseas. But but they're one of the few examples of of a side that have actually sort of harnessed that. But coming into these Euros, most teams that have played friendlies, Sweden, Denmark, they're playing in front of record crowds. So it is catching on already. It, that, that, that kind of excitement is, is pulling people into stadia. What I need to see just because I care about it that much, is more of a general acceptance of, of girls and women playing football because as much as there are so many positive stories about what's happening in, in the women's game and in, in, in women's sport, girls still get boys saying they shouldn't play football. They still aren't allowed to play at school. I think it's only like 60-odd percent of schools offer football in schools. 
sorry, oh, yeah, uh, girls get to play football at school. Um, it's, it's parents telling their boys or making snide comments when they play against girls' teams. So so that, as much as we're in a great place, that still needs to change. So socially, we're, we're still behind. We need to make progress on that in that respect. And there has to be opportunities for girls to play. But then it's about eventually getting bums on seats because the women's game has to seek to become sustainable and we always bag on about this don't we but that means getting more people there and as charlotte says and as, as susie has said in her book it is it is more about a campaign and it is more about awareness and harnessing that one club concept because if you're if you're red and white surely you love every team that represents that red and white whether it's a team of baby elephants or whether you know you've got to be <laughs> proud of of the people that represent your badge and your club yeah and so harness that no, I completely and utterly agree with that. Um, it was a was it in Colombia where they had that lovely campaign the other year where um, the men's teams cut the um, half their badge out and said, you know, you wouldn't support half of your club, um, and and that had a that had a really big impact. And I think those kinds of messages, the people who follow this game and who are going to be actively involved right from the beginning of this tournament. Um, we get it, but there are so many more people out there who who share our values, who just need just need bringing towards it. And I think um, as a as a commercial enterprise, but also as a social enterprise, which which football clubs are, you know, they're recognised as not just an ordinary business, and they can be used for social good. Um, so hopefully, we can we can together we can uh, we can all all contribute towards that. Now, I want to finish off our conversation by putting you both on the spot. I did send you this earlier. I want your semi-finalists and your winner of Euro 2022. And we will come back to you uh, after, after the tournament to, to hold you accountable for your predictions. So uh, I'll come to you first, Charlotte. God, it sounds like I'm going to end up being ridiculed in a few weeks then. Um, Yeah, you know what, when you sent this question through, as I was watching the football match before this, I was sat there thinking about who who, who do I pick? Because like Jen touched on towards the start of the podcast, I mean, on... It really depends on any given day how the team performs. I mean, we touched on sort of the likes of Spain and Germany and France and you you won't always go with them, but sometimes, you, you know, they just don't live up to those standards. Um, so this was really hard to pick. But for me, for the sort of four semi-finalists in this, yeah, I would probably say England, which is maybe a bit optimistic mm-hmm. of me, but hey, let's go with it. Uh, France. Sweden and then after that I was really torn between picking either Germany or Spain because again on any given day they can be an absolutely incredible team and play each other sort of off the park but oh yeah um I'm just yeah this is hard really hard um I'm gonna go with Spain I think just to edge it slightly just given the the track record and the history in this competition so yeah, and the winner out of those four, Sweden for me. Oh. As much as I want to say it's coming home, <laughs> I just can't quite. I mean, I think yeah, I just Sweden are just such a really impressive side. Like I said, um, when I watched them in the Olympics 
last year I mean they should have won it really um and the, you know they keep knocking on the door and I think it's you know about time that they get the breakthrough as much as I wish it didn't come at the demise of England I, I think for me it has to be um Sweden I think I think that that's the that's the uh, data analyst in you uh, taking <laughs> over from the emotion so Jen you're you're four and I'll, I'll go last because I'll embarrass myself I'm I'm not even sure England are going to win their group because I think people underestimate Norway because Norway are are good. Austria could frustrate England. Northern Ireland have got nothing to lose. That's what's exciting about them. They just just go in there and have fun. Um, but I ex- so England and Norway are going to win. We're going to be first and second in that group. The, I can't work out between Germany, Denmark, and Spain. So I've just gone hell for leather here. The the semi finalists are going to be France, Sweden. England and Germany, and then it's going to be England and Sweden in the final. And we're going to win it, aren't we? Um, I don't know. I was going to say Sweden as well, just because <laughs> I don't want to upset myself. It's the hope we can't stand. Um. Well, do you know? We, um. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Well, Sweden, England. I think, I think from the kind of right hand side of the draw, I think, yeah, it's it's Sweden and France coming through. Um. I think Germany will be there, and I think we'll be there. And you see, if it's not Germany, it's probably Denmark. I'm totally writing off Spain, and that's going to bite me in the oh, ass. I mean, totally. And and they're they're just going to like blow everyone away. And and, and... If, people, if people haven't spe- seen Spain, they're absolutely amazing. And do you know when I see Alexia Putellas in the flesh, she's an absolute unit. Yeah. I mean, she's an amazing footballer, but oh, she's huge, like so strong. And they're used to the but, they're used to the big crowds, and the they they've kind of got that winning mentality. And I'm talking myself out of us winning the tournament and my prediction of, of the semi finalists there. But I just think Germany across the park are pretty strong. I think they'll they'll come through a, a quarter final against Norway, possibly. That quarterfinal that we're going to have to face is it's going to be quite it's going to be really hard. I'm just looking at the tournament tree now, talking myself out of it. What I was going to say, which is England are going to win this, but I'm going to finish by saying England are going to win this by hook or by crook. The crowds will take us through. Um, the sense of kind of purpose, the home home advantage, um, are going to take us through this, and we're going to win it, and it's going to come home, and it'll be transformative, and um, we'll be celebrating. Like, uh, like, like, never before at the end of the month. I've got a room in the Nova Hotel next to Wembley. It's costing me an absolute arm and a leg. I've but got, if we win, then I've it's got. Carnage. I've got one in in Kings Cross um, for the for the night after because I'm, I'm going to be there as well. Um, so it's going to be it's going to be a party. Trafalgar Square take over. <laughs> Trafalgar Square take over when we win. Spain, do you know Spain have never won a knockout game at three World Cups and or the three Euros and two World Cups? Tempting fate now. Spain does not equal. <laughs> Spain does not equal Barcelona. That's the bizarre thing. Mm. Famous last words. It is funny. Well, we will we will see. Um, I'll be really interested to hear from our um, listeners and readers what they think about this tournament coming up. Obviously, by the time this comes out, it'll only be a couple of days before the the start of the tournament. Keep an eye out on our website. Chris Cam has been writing some great match reports. Um, it's nice to have Chris involved, a very experienced rock report writer uh, who, who's long long association with with Sunderland DFC um, women. 
Keep an eye out on our TikTok, on our Twitter, on our Instagram. I'll be making some some cool videos over the course of the Euros, doing some little, uh, what they call edits. Some footy edits, I think, uh, on TikTok. And um, also, just want to say it as well, we're, we're always looking for new contributors as well to what report. We've got the, the, the season starting in August for Sunderland AFC women. So if you do... Fancy writing something? Um, send us a, a reader's corner piece. Um, just write a letter in to the usual report uh, address about um, your thoughts on the Euros. We'll publish that, uh, and um, you never know, we might uh, get in touch with you and, and, and offer you a gig uh, on on this podcast as well. So, um, thank you very much for your time this evening, Charlotte. Thank you very much. It's uh, been an enjoyable podcast. It's nice to have one where it's uh, full of hope, actually, compared yeah. to when we talk about Sutherland. <laughs> yeah, we're, when we're like, oh, wouldn't it be nice if we you know, got past Blackburn Rovers? We're going to win the Euros. And so... Well, if, if Callum Doyle can do it... Absolutely, yeah. yeah. Lucy, Jill, Demi, they can all do it. They can, and it's going to be a really great tournament. So thank you very much for your time as well, Jen, because uh, I know you're busy. Thanks. All right, and we'll speak to you all soon. Tara. Talk,